Hey. Jesse, make sure everybody's in here, will you? <clears throat> okay. Um, answer a couple questions. Realize in your spirit, you have all seven. The more you mature in the Lord, the more you deal with the blockages, the more you walk in the fullness of who you are, the more those should begin to rise as well. So some of you have some that are kind of close. That may be the reason. Another reason may be you have learned skills to protect yourself. You've learned skills of how to do life. So some of them look similar, but if you were to go back, for instance, if Josh, if his mom or Adam were to go back and think of when Josh was little, how he operated, it might look different than how he has, has gauged it right now because he's learned behavioral things. And that has colored even the gift within. So if you look at your children right now, there's, there's, it's, it's a little purer. You're going to see them. You know, I mean, how many of you know, if you have children, none of them are alike. And we try to parent them all alike. We try to discipline them the same. We try to train them the same. We try to do the same thing. And by golly, it doesn't work. And we think there's something wrong with the child. And it's not wrong with the child. We don't get a clue. That, you know, a mercy, if you say to a mercy, I need, we need to have a talk. <laughs> I'm sorry, I really didn't mean to do it. I mean, their heart's broken and all you said was, we need to talk. Right? You, talk, you say to a prophet, we need to talk. And they're going, yeah, why? And you're like, smack you. You know, I mean, you thought, why? Because that's their response. Is one right or wrong? Not in the nature of their gifting, but our response to it teaches a prophet to gauge their mouths, to walk with honor, to walk with respect. Okay? To gauge, but with the mercy, it's honey. Discipline is not always bad. This isn't about you doing, being bad. It's about something that you've done that's not right. Okay? See why we've got to do it differently? We've got, to, we've got to start treating each other differently. The giver. The giver is the hardest one to peg. Did I do giver? I didn't do giver, did I? Okay. Giver, I want to guarantee you, every church wants a giver. <laughs> or a hundred givers. No. Giver redemptive. That does not mean one who gives out a lot of money. Okay? Generally, givers are not flamboyantly generous. That's not what it means. Actually, prophets can give flamboyantly, ignorantly, out of season and out of time. Okay? Because we see it. We're going to give to it. We're going to give to it. We're gonna, a giver is going to measure very carefully. where They're going to only give where they see a reward. They see a result. They see it's going to produce something. Okay? Whether it's in a person's life whether it's in finances, whatever it is. They're going to they're gonna weigh it carefully before they sow into it. They're going to count the cost fully before they go into it. Because they understand the law of sowing and reaping. And they want to make sure that everything they sow, they reap, they reap something from. Okay? 
They are great birthers. They can, if they see this is what needs to be done, this is God, they can bring something to pass that no one else can. They are, they have a generational worldview. You ever know anybody that it's just everything about them is generational? <clears throat> anybody know anybody who everything about them is generational? They think it's learned. No, it's not. We've all heard this stuff, but they think generationally. We were sitting with Ray, and he was talking about um, somebody wanting to lease him some land to do vineyards on. And he said, no. So I'm not going to sow my family's inheritance into leased land. That's generational view. In other words, everything I'm going to do is for the purpose of preparing for my generations behind me. That's a giver. How many of you know, we think, well, yeah, I want to do for my kids. But frankly, right now, I'm just trying to pay my bills. I really don't care if they have the money or not. You know, I mean, that, that's kind of what. But a giver has to. They prepare the way for their family. Not just their family. They'll do it in a church. They'll start it, but they're always looking. Who's behind me? Hadn't that happened here? Uh-huh. Generational. We're looking at, we're looking, making a way for those. Independent. I can have people, don't need people. It's just fine. I can stand alone. I don't look to other people for help. <laughs> and sometimes not even to God. Thank you. I can do this. Because they can. They can. They're very strong, very independent, very able to do, very able to accomplish. They believe they see it, they do it, they go after it. Hard, um, hard sometimes for other people to relate to them, but they can relate to a lot of different people. They just, they're fine. Why? Because they're absolutely comfortable with who they are, for the most part. They're just comfortable with who they are. They're going to relate to people. If you don't like me, that's your problem. I mean, it's just, you know, it's just not going to be a big deal to me. Um, they desire to keep their own life private. You will, you will have a hard time, many times, ministering to a giver because they only want to tell you what they want you to know. Okay? You're only going to get what I want you to know, which can make it very difficult if you're trying to get to an issue, you know, that's really killing them. But that's, that's just one of the gift, one of the things with it. They resist being conned. They resist being manipulated. They will not be guilt-tripped into action. Try as you may <laughs> to get them to do something. Through guilt or anything else, they will not do it. <clears throat> okay. Uh, they keep all their options open as long as possible. I'm not going to make a commitment until I... Absolutely, I'm going to make sure, I'm going to keep my options open here, and we'll see where we go from here, okay? You know people like that, and it's like, can't you make a commitment? Come on, can't you make a decision? And they're like, yeah, when I'm ready to. When I'm ready to, I'm just keeping my options open. I want to make sure, right? Do you know people like that? Yeah, you do. There's nothing wrong with them. It's the way they're wired. And they're going to keep their options open. Okay? They find favor in terms of money. If a giver is flowing in their maturity, 
money is going to come to them like a magnet. If they are not flowing in their maturity, they are going to be they are going to be continually striving and never quite being able to meet it. So if there's a giver, if you are a giver and money is it, this is a funny it's your free money in the kingdom. It's your free money. Money should not even be an issue. It's going to flow to you and through you. Flow to because you understand the law of sowing and reaping. You understand how to give wisely. You you don't give to just anyone that has you give wisely. You provide, you set things aside. <clears throat> they give well and wisely, not impulsively. They're not moved by natural circumstances of need. Someone comes along and they've got this horrible need. And you know they've screwed up royally and they haven't repented and they haven't changed because they've been in this place before. Your, the giver's first response is, maybe need to learn this lesson. We had a family um, that made some really poor decisions. The guy decided not to pay his taxes for five years. Bad decision. Bad decision. People tried to help. Didn't pay his taxes the next year. People tried to help. He kept getting in this bind. We were, they were going to lose their house. And we were like, oh man, don't want them to lose their house. And we were like, okay, well maybe we just need to, to give. And the Lord said, don't you do it. It was like, what? You don't want me to help them? And he said, not now. They lost their house. I hated it. They lost their car. I hated it. But you know what? The man has stepped up and said, the reason I lost my house is because I wasn't faithful in the moment. A giver, we were, the giver portion of our spirit at that point in time was working well. It doesn't always because we tend to give without thinking sometimes. But in this point in time, the giver portion of our spirit listened to the father and said, not wise, because they will keep repeating the same cycle. All right? A giver knows that. You can think they're selfish. We went through a hard time one time financially, and Jim had. We were living in Colorado, and the um, the business he was in, everything, the oil business cratered. Everybody lost their jobs. There were like thirty thousand people out of work in that area in one day period of time. You know, he's trying to find work. Has been a vice president of a company. They weren't hiring vice presidents then. You know, in fact, McDonald's wouldn't even hire a vice president because they said you'll leave, right? So I mean, it was really a hard time, and we went to these friends' house. Uh, for a Bible study, and they were going to pray for us. And the guy was a giver, looking back on it, and he said, um, let's take up an offering for them. And they did, and he gave us $35. Now, he knew we couldn't make a house payment, we could, but in his mind, he gave us $35. And we were like, what? You know, now that wasn't through any fault of our own, but he, they, so don't equate someone that gives a lot of money to being a giver. Okay, it's not necessarily the case. It means they have the propensity to carry things within them, to birth things, to release things that sow into the kingdom that produce a result. The father said that he gave his son to get us. Right? Isn't that why he did it? He gave his son to get us. He was the ultimate giver. He gave and he knew there was a return on his investment. 
That's the giver portion of God. There's going to be a return on my investment, whatever it might be. He's a natural networker, has ability to bring people together, persuade them to do, is very pragmatic and practical. Okay? That's the giver. What day of creation? Well, for instance, Job. Job was a giver. How do we know? What, what was he concerned about? His family. Right? He offered sacrifices daily for his family. He was all concerned for his family. It says he was continually doing it. He recognized God as his source. The Lord give, bigs, the Lord gives. And he was also Italian. He gives and the Lord takes away. He understood the need to minister to community. He took care of the widows, the fatherless, the strangers. That's what the word says. He, he was out there doing the stuff. Intangible wealth of influence in the community. You know that because who all came to try to fix him at the end? All right? But on the fifth day of creation, look at this. I thought this was so cool. Do you realize it wasn't until the fifth day of creation that blood was entered into creation? You had four days where there was no blood in anything. There was life, but there was no blood. The fifth day of creation, blood came. The giver has a concern about health and life. The giver very many times will be involved in the health industry because they're concerned about health and life. They're concerned about the preservation of life, the quality of life, being prepared for old age. Okay, that, that, It's just who they are. They have an immense birthing anointing and capacity to nurture new things. You, you find a giver and they're always fathering somebody, nurturing somebody, encouraging somebody, helping somebody grow, helping somebody do this, casting vision for them. That's just who they are. The sun, moon, and stars do not nurture. Trees do not nurture. Do they? It wasn't until this day, the fifth day of creation, that nurturing entered into the creation. Because it falls in the heart of the giver in the blood to nurture. They have a strong nurturing desire, desire to carry for their family. And there's a generational anointing upon them. The giver is the one that understands the blessing. I know that someone here doesn't think he is, but he is flat a giver. And he, he understands the power of the blessing. I mean, it's just there. I mean, when, Ray, when, Ray, when he thinks about his kid, it's the blessing. It's the very nature of redemption. It's the very nature of the, of the whole generational line. That it just seems so natural. I can't be that because it's so natural. It is. Because there is within him that ability to nurture and bring forth out of the generational line the fullness that God's put in there. But not only their generation, but yours as well. Here's the problem. <laughs> Believe it or not, <clears throat> they can't have one. Okay, there's the blessing thing. Um, they sometimes only give in times of abundance. Carnal, immature, one will only give when they have. They don't continue to give even when they don't have. And God says to give. They can be overly cautious, decisions based on fear rather than faith. And they get stymied in birthing new things. <clears throat> they can walk their faith out like a business contract. I keep my end of the bargain. God, you keep yours. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this. Therefore, that's going to assure me that you're going to do this and this and this. And when God doesn't do this and this and this, they can get bent out of shape because they kept their end of the bargain. 
problem is, that's not the way it works. So they can get stuck in liturgy, they can get stuck in tradition, they can get stuck in doing the very same thing, and God just shakes it all up and goes, nope, that's not life. That's your comfort zone. They can use unhealthy emotional manipulation to control family members, anger, silence. Um, They can be petty and shallow, connections with non-family members. Don't really go deep with them. That can be for the carnal and immature giver. Okay? But you see, if you have one, if you have one who can find the heart of God over... For instance, let me, let me give you just an... Now, I'm going I'm to go through this one and I'll do it. Let's go to the ruler. The ruler of the empire builders. Okay? The ruler are the empire builders. They're administrators, they're leaders, they're implementers. They thrive under pressure. They thrive with you under pressure. If you're not under pressure, they will find something to put you under pressure. Because rulers love pressure. They love everyone to be under pressure. You know, we had a ruler as an elder at a church where we came from. And here was honestly his comment. He said, find the busiest people you know and give them the job. Because they'll do it. And you're like, no. They've got way too much on their plate already because they don't know how to set boundaries. He's like, I don't care. They'll get the job done. You're like, all right? Because the end result's all that matters, man. I don't care if your family's being screwed up. I don't care if your kids never see you. I don't care. I need the job done, so... I'm asking you, right? That's the ruler's mentality. We need to done, do it. I don't, you know. Okay, they can use imperfect people and tolerate a lo- level of compromise. You don't have to do it perfect. They can, they can just work with you, okay? Because their goal is to get the job done. That's their job. I mean, they're going to build the thing. Establish organizations and put people in order. They're always early or on time. Vineyard time fries rulers. <laughs> fries rulers. <laughs> uh huh. Why? Because I mean, we're building something here. We we got to get going. What are we doing? We're saying we're starting, and we're starting fifteen minutes. I mean, come on. We're building something. That's the way they're wired, guys. Was God on? Is God on time? Huh? Ever been late? Has God ever been late? Is this a trick question? (laughs) No. Has God ever been late? Does God meet our time? No, he doesn't. But he's never been late and he always starts on time. He... Sometimes he's early. He can be early if he wants to. He's early in the morning. Okay. So... The ruler is wired that way. They keep things in order. They want things in time so that things don't get out of hand. So they don't get just out here blowing in the wind with no structure. You know, because the problem is you start being late. And then all of a sudden you're five minutes more late. And then you're five minutes more late. We had a church that we went to that it was such a loosey-goosey thing. People would come in and they would literally talk in the back of the sanctuary all through worship. Now, I don't mean just talk. I mean loud conversations. Drinking coffee, just hanging out, just talking like, and worship's going on. And you want to turn around and go, hello? You know, but hey, we're just easy. Rulers were fried. They couldn't stay. They could not stay. They had to leave. Because they would have killed somebody. Right? 
That's the ruler. They're extremely concerned about loyalty, more so even than competence. They can accept incompetence as long as you're loyal. You have a lot of, a lot of people running around with businesses that have loyal people who are flat incompetent. But it's more important to them to have loyalty than it is competence. They don't need affirmation to do their job. They're not manipulated by flattery. Um, they're not particularly concerned about negative thoughts or comments about them. Because, frankly, they really don't care. They're building. And anything that gets in the way, they build over. They step on anybody they have to because they're building. That's their goal, is to build. Extremely diverse in interest and skills would rather fix things than blaming or finding a scapegoat. They, you know, they really don't care whose fault it is. Let's just fix the thing. Let's just get it working again, okay? Um, they're not generally spontaneous. They don't change schedules and plans easily. Nehemiah <laughs> is the picture of a ruler. Nehemiah had a job to do, didn't he? His job was to build the wall. If you go through and read the story of Nehemiah, he didn't care who they were. They had a job. I mean, everybody had a job. He didn't care if it was an impossible job. He was building the wall. He had been given a job to do. He was going to build the wall. He was going to get everybody in it. He gave them their jobs. He told them what to do. He didn't care how good they were. He said, you do this, you do this, you do this, you do this. And by the way, do it in this amount of time. He was, he, that's who he was, right? You know, we tend to look at people in the Bible as these unreal uh, people that just had everything together and they were totally isolated and they were just these little puppets of God. They were just people. And we're just seeing a picture of the body of Christ beginning from the foundation of the world, walking all the way through, learning to work together. But you see, if we only see ourselves as the center and us becoming what we're supposed to be and we don't see a bigger view of that, even to the point that from the very first day the creation started, there has been an order and a system and a unity to creation that we have simply stepped into and have a part of for a picture that is much bigger than we are. It's a much bigger picture than us. It's a much bigger picture than the vineyard. The vineyard's picture ought to be taking Campbellsville in the state first. And then, Tennessee. <laughs> and then, right? But it's not just so the vineyard can have a nice little thing here where everybody gets along that can fight the religious spirit and do what we want and have a good time and great worship and all of that. It's no. It's so we can fit into this whole schematic thing of God that is leading toward the completion of the end of the age. We're all fit. We're just, we're just pieces and parts, but together we get to join. So as I step into my place, I can, I can work for a Nehemiah who's bossy, who's, who's telling me what to do, who's got a vision that is so big that I don't think it can be done. I can work for him. Why? Because all of a sudden I was like, oh, God gave him that assignment. You know, yeah, maybe he's rough around the edges, but I can do that. I can work with that. You see? And yet, if, if you'd given him mercy... That job, that wall would still not be built. Because the mercy would be out trying to make everybody feel good. And, and feel, you know, just, I'm sorry that your kids are sick today. You don't have to do anything today, honey. You know, just leave that gate totally unguarded. Really. And they'd do it. So God didn't put a mercy there. 
He put a ruler there because he wanted the wall built. Right? But I'll guarantee you all that time there were those going around going, I know it's hard. I know it's hard. Somebody come along and help them with their kids, would they? You know, because they really need to guard the gate. Okay? And someone else was coming along. I know you don't know how to do this. And he's giving you a hard job, so let me, let me teach you how to do it. Here's why it's... Im- then somebody else comes along and says, here's why it's important that we build the wall. Because if we don't, the, the teacher comes in and goes, let me show you why we have to do this. Why is it... Im-? And they go, oh... Wow, if we don't, we're going to get our lunch eaten. They're going to come kill us. They're going to come through. Oh, okay, yeah, right? Every, everybody fit. Everybody filled their position. But that's the ruler. They, we have to have them. But they're misunderstood a lot of times. So the sixth day, he created animals, insects, and the human being. And what did he tell? What did he do? He gave them authority to rule. That's what happened. Sixth day, you got a ruler. Why? Because God gave him the authority to rule. That's his job. Rule. How simple is that? Take dominion. Rule. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. He designed rulers to organize and administrate social unity. Groups of people and resources to live in dominion over creation. That's what they're designed for. Big picture. Organize. Run things do things they understand when to push people and when to inspire them sometimes people just need a kick in the behind (laughs) a push and sometimes they need to be inspired you know I mean isn't that true with you sometimes somebody can just cast a vision that you're like wow I I will follow that And other times there's a vision that isn't as wow, and I'm going, and I need somebody to go, you know, I know you don't really like this, but get off your duff and go do something. Because it's the vision, and we're going to do it. There's times when both of those things are needed. Okay, the ruler has that wisdom to go, okay, is this a time to push, or is this a time to inspire? Now, understand, we can grow in all of these. So if you're a leader in work, at at the college, in a, in a classroom, in a family. You can grow in all of these to know how to lead your family, how to lead in your, how to inspire in the classroom versus how to give them a kick in the pants so they'll do what they need to do. Okay, you can grow in these things, and we'll talk about how to do that. The ruler's call is to nurture the human spirit. And that'll We're going to talk about that as soon as we finish the mercy gift. It's his call to nurture the human spirit, to weave together a community based on oneness of spirit, and to lead with the spirit of God given dominion toward the goals of life. Awesome, huh? But they're also very bossy. They generally don't, they generally believe everybody loves them, even though 95% of the people can't stand them. They, they really can't believe that. Why wouldn't they like me? Well, you just stepped on them. So, we're building something. So, I mean, they really don't. They cannot conceive of the fact that maybe you just offended somebody in a wrong way. <clears throat> but that's just part of it. Mercy. Final gift. Mercy's the crown jewel of the gifts. 
<laughs> yeah. Everybody's like, I want to be a mercy. No, you don't. <laughs> yeah, maybe you do. Okay. Mercy is the crown jewel of the gifts. Why is that? Because after everything was done, after God did all of his work, after he created everything, gave everybody a function, a place, he gave the rule to man over the animals, he gave the seed, he gave the atmosphere, he did the whole thing, and he said, that's good. Then in the seventh day, he said, now, chill out. I've got it under control. Chill out, will you? Enter into the rest of God. Does Hebrews not say, for there is a day for, uh, waiting for us, for the saints to enter into the rest of God. That doesn't mean doing nothing. The rest of God is the place where, have, where we see that God has done everything God wanted to do in a situation. And it's time to rest in it. Does that make sense? Have you ever been in a situation where you've done everything you knew to do? You've been before the Lord. You've said, is there anything else I can do? Is there anything else I need to do? And there isn't. The Lord wants us to come to a place at that point of entering into his rest saying, Father, having done all, I stand. Because you, after having done all, rested. So there's a balance between us doing our part and entering into his rest and him doing his part and resting. It's not an either or. There's also seasons. We are in a mercy season right now. Believe it or not, we're getting ready to go into one of the most... The potential is there for us to go into one of the hardest times to be Christians ever in this nation. The potential for that is there. I'm not a doom. I'm just saying... Would you all agree the potential for that is very great? Do you know that it's during that season that the Father is saying, if you don't enter into my rest, you won't be able to stand. It's not a time for war. It's a time for resting in the completion of God's work so that we can speak from a place of peace, a a place of authority, a place of knowing our God wins. That's the rest of God. I don't have to argue with you. Because my God has already said it. It's done. It's done. The rest of God was that seventh day. Mercy, their free money is worship. I mean, you you start a worship service and the mercy is just immediately. And you're like, I'm sorry, but that was a C chord. (laughs) And it wasn't even... The right C chord. And they're just gone. They can walk outside and they're in the trees and they're like, Oh, Jesus. Oh. Mercy. It's just free money. Why? Because there's no striving. There's no striving with mercy. There's no striving in rest. Here's the kicker. Mercies feel life. They don't do life. Ever had anybody that say, I don't know why, I just, I just feel like, I feel, I can't explain it, I just, I feel this, it just feels like this, Continue. it feels like that, I don't know, it just feels like, and everything is, it feels like this. The mercy was designed to feel deeply the extremes of God, 
And Lord have mercy, can they feel the extremes of God? They can be woohoo to woohoo in 15 seconds because they feel deeply. Now, here's the thing women are allowed to feel, aren't they? Women are allowed to be emotional, aren't they? I mean, in society in general, it's expected. We think all women are emotional. But you know what? It's not acceptable for a man to be emotional, is it? To feel deeply. To have emotional ups and downs. That's not acceptable. And yet, you know what? We have mercy men running around who have the hearts of compassion and tenderness and the mercy and the rest of God who haven't been accepted as that being a manly trait who have then fallen into... It is the number one gift for falling, falling into uh, a homosexual lifestyle and sexual immorality. Because you know what? Toughen up, son. Quit crying. Toughen up. Rather than going... Oh, Jesus, I've got a mercy son here. How do I raise him? How do I raise him in strength to understand his emotions? To understand this depth of feeling that he was having? How do I help him learn to walk in that? Because you see, there's great strength in being able to rest in the emotional heart of the father. They have a high level of excellence. They can really organize things well. Our son, we have a son that's 25, and Joanne, our friend, thinks he's a teacher because he's a lot. He has thinks a lot like his dad. But I just, I, I can't help it. I think he's a mercy because he's just here's here's a mercy guy. If 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 Travis, come here. I want to show you. Here's here's what here's how you're going to know a mercy guy. Come here. This is a mercy guy. No matter, don't you leave. <laughs> no matter what it is, they're just touching and they're hugging and they're just wanting to be close. And that, you know, and everybody's gone. That's strange. Jeff is this size and he'll still come sit on my lap. I mean, come on, right? And he's, I mean, there he is. Why? You take a mercy as a, as a little child. They want hugs. They want touch. They want to be held. They want to be caught. And we're going, come on, grow up, toughen up, son. You don't need that. And we have squashed the gift of God in them, the character, the DNA of God in them, because we think it's not manly. But Jesus and his father were the most merciful, tender, compassionate, emotional beings that have ever been and ever will be. And yet we don't want our men to look like that. Come on. But it's the mercy. But they can design, they can organize things. We didn't know this. Jeff went away to ministry school. And, you know, we thought, well, good. It'd be a good time for him to grow up a little bit. And he did. But all of a sudden we find out he's running all these things. He's organizing things. He's taking people. We're going, really? I didn't know. I didn't think he could. I mean, he can't even pick up his room. How can he, you know, I mean, match his socks. And he's out organizing all this stuff. And it's like, whoa. That's because that's who he is. They're designed by God for intimacy, which transcends in the physical for the need for touch. They most easily will fall into sexual sin because they need physical touch. You cannot hug a mercy enough. 
If you're in a relationship with the mercy of in, whether it's parent, child, friend to friend, and something goes wrong, that mercy is on you like a bulldog to get it fixed. And you're like, I don't even remember what it was. I don't care. I can tell. There's a breach. What's wrong? Come on. There's something wrong. Come on. What's wrong? And you're like, would you just leave me alone? There's nothing wrong. Yeah, I can tell. Our hearts aren't connected. Come on. And they won't stop. I have a, one of my dearest friends is a mercy. Lord, she drives me nuts. You know, but, I mean, she would call. Well, what about this? What about this? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't even, I haven't even thought about that again. And she's like, no, I think there was a breach. And you're like, would you just chill until, until I can say the right words that touch a place that reconnects our heart? And when she feels that wall go down or whatever that breach is, then she's like, ah, okay, now it's good. It will drive you absolutely nuts. But you know what? The prophet needs the mercy because I'm... Prophets can just ignore it, walk away, not feel, not care. And the mercy is just after him, like a nope, nope, nope. Come on, come on. What are you feeling? What are you feeling? What are you feeling? You see, pulling us into emotional relationships, right? They also feel in the spirit. We had a house in um, Asheville that was an old farmhouse that some friends owned, and they had let a young couple take it, and they were going to buy it. And then it got kind of trashed. We had uh, two full, huge dumpsters full of household garbage taken out of the front yard before we could move in. Diapers, everything, scoops. I mean, the house was in bad shape. And um, we went in. Our cell group came out. They painted. We cleaned. Got the thing somewhat fixed up. And we were thinking, well, this is pretty good. You know, I mean, there was a hole in the wall, and Jim reached in and pulled a snake skin out. It had molted in the wall, and, you know, there were rats knocking cans off, and, you know, it wasn't a particularly pleasant place, so we had a lot of work. See why we're, we've done a few of those, you know? We didn't, weren't interested in trying another one, and so, <laughs> and yours was good. Ours was not, so we'd done that, right? We'd been there. We had, I had my friend come up, and I said, just come out to the house and see what we've done, because something wasn't right. So she came, she walked through the house. Hmm, wow, this is real. Wow, you've done a great job. That's pretty. Yeah, good job. Yeah, that's nice. And I'm thinking, okay. So we walk outside and we walk down the sidewalk and I realized I forgot my purse. I said, wait right here. I got to run back in and get my purse and we'll come. So I go back in and get my purse. I come out and she's standing on the sidewalk. Now I am not, she's going like this. <laughs> She's my spiritual Geiger counter. She didn't know what was wrong. All she knew was something in the room, in the spirit in there was a rock, was off. And she felt it. Her whole life, she had been accused, belittled, and berated for being too emotional. Okay? Over the course of the years that they lived with us, we were able to say, Trish, is this yours? Is this feeling yours? Or did it happen when you came in here? And she'd go, oh, know what happened when I came in here. Okay. Is it somebody that's in here or is there something going on? Pretty soon she began to where she could identify what emotion was in the room. If it was somebody, if it was an atmosphere, if it was a spirit, what needed. And is there something she's supposed to do with it? So it no longer controlled her. 
But until somebody could help her see that the emotional thing she was feeling was a gift from God to be nurtured and grown in, then it was just something she was ashamed of. Oh, she's just too emotional. You ever heard anybody say that? Yeah. Well, if they are, then we need to find out why. Okay? The mercy heart of God gave us his son. The mercy heart of God was willing to give everything emotionally, everything physically, everything he had, and to express his mercy and emotion for us. It's a strong gift. We've got mercy young men who for this season will be the lion's. They will be the lions because they feel the depth of God's heart. And when they feel the depth of God's heart and they go to prayer or they go to worship or they go and they do it, it's the oneness of God with them. The heart of God just, it's connecting and it's releasing it over the earth. They know the heart of God. They just have difficulty explaining the why. Well, how do you know this? I don't know. I just feel it. I just feel it. I don't know what just happened. I just know what I felt. Can't explain it. That's okay. They can sense when wounded, rejected people are in the room. Have lots of friends, but very few close, intimate friends. Complete transparency with just a few. I said bulldogs about relationships. They're going to make sure that heart-to-heart connection's there, even if it drives you nuts, which it will. Stubborn in the nicest way. You want to know a mercy? You say, I think we need to do this, and they're like, yes. That heel is dug in, and you know good and well they are not going to do it. Yes, that's fine. And inside they're going, Yeah. That's what, what stubborn in the nicest way. Understand the rest of God and can bring people into it. Mercy sees God's fingerprints in a more complex way than the other gifts. The knowledge of God comes to the mercy through the art of savoring him that no amount of analytical study will do. They just, they just sense, experience, touch, rest. And then you say, tell me what it was, and they're going... I don't know, it just felt good. I don't know, it's just, whoa. And you're like, really? I mean, come on. And they can't. They can't. Got a lot of mercy worship leaders. That's why a lot of them fall into sexual sin. Okay? They haven't been matured in their gift. Their gift is designed to bring people into the rest of God. But because their emotional needs are so great and wounded, they were never allowed to be who they were. They've been trapped in this and this and this and this. Okay. John the Beloved was able to say with assurance, you think he wasn't a mercy? He just said, I'm the one he loved. I'm the one he loved. He just knew he was loved because it's all he thought about. He's just... Loves Jesus. I'm gonna Okay, come on guys. Can you imagine Peter laying his head on Jesus' breast? I mean seriously, can you? No. You know, it's come on boy, I got my sword. Let's go do some war. Right? 
But John, it was so, he needed that touch. He needed that. And you know what? That was a good thing. Because in the end, it was the one who was willing to lay his head on his breast, be intimate, be touchy, be touchy-feely, be emotional, that when Jesus needed somebody to take care of his mother, he looked at him and said, take care of her, because he knew his mother would be loved. Ha-ha. <laughs> yeah. Mama's going to be loved. Not ruled. Not bossed. Not taught. She's going to be loved. And that's what he wanted for his mother. I just want you to love her. So he chose a mercy to take care of his mother. That's a high honor. It's a high honor. So for those of you that are mercies, men and women, I give you permission to feel deeply. Feel deeply. Express it. Adam will get over it. You know why? Because he does too. It just looks different. We'll help you learn. We'll help you learn to grow in it. Help you learn to mature in it. It doesn't mean that we have to be bubbling idiots everywhere we go emotionally. We can learn to grow in it. We'll help you do that. His whole book, the whole book of John, was the amazing intimacy of the overwhelming love of God. Wasn't it? That's all it was. Everything in it was the love of God. Was that true in, in Luke's? No. It was the accounts of what Jesus did. He did this, he did this, he did this, he did this. This is fact, this is truth. He did this, he did it in this order, da-da-da-da-da. But with John, it's like, oh, the surpassing love. Yeah. Seventh day of creation, God created nothing. <laughs> right? I mean, think about it. Seventh day of creation, God created nothing. How's that drive you nuts? We're supposed to be doing something, aren't we, Adam? Are we supposed to be doing something? <laughs> yeah, we're supposed to be doing something. If you don't believe it, try to do nothing. I'm serious. How many of you can absolutely do nothing for more than two or three days at a time? And you say, well, it's because of this and this. No, we don't know how to do nothing. But the Father did nothing. Why? He was done. He said, I've done it. Anything that's not done, I've left to them to do anyway. They can take dominion now. They can rule now. They can plant seeds now. They can harvest now. They can reproduce now. I'm going to rest and watch. Do you know it's a parenting tool? You, there's a time when you plant. Isn't that right? You plant, you teach, you instruct. And then there's a time when we get to step back as grandparents and go, it's all yours now, baby. I'm resting. It's up to you, right? That's what God did. He just stepped back and rested and said, it's up to you now, right? Seventh day of creation. He's able, the mercy's able to enjoy all of the other gifts in a way none of the other gifts can. Who was it I was talking to who said, oh, Beth was saying about being a mercy. She said, I can see, I can see why this person does this and why this person does this. And it's like, I understand. It's like, I can just bring it all together. It's okay. Now, she's learned to be, have fun and be lighthearted and be positive like an exhorter. And she learns truth. But the very nature of who she is, it's like, I see that. I, I can feel what they're feeling, right? Never been understood. Because you feel it, right? Yeah, right now she's feeling it. It's like everything in her wants to go, <laughs> finally somebody's saying it. But she's learned not to do that. Because y'all will look at her weird. <laughs> it's true. 
You will. Because we've learned to cover up. We've learned not to be expressive rather than to go, man, I just honor that in you. I honor that depth of emotion that feels the heart of God. And I just give you permission to release that. This body needs that heart. Now, the problem with it is they tend to do whatever they need to do to make people happy around them because um, they don't like pain. I mean, they don't like to feel pain. Um, they can embrace dangerous people. Many times mercies will stay longer than they should in, in relationships, churches, jobs where it's abusive, it's wrong, and they will stay because they think that somehow that's what that's love. They'll stay longer than they should, even when people are exploiting them. They can take up an offense for a third party. Lord, have mercy. You do not want to come against a mercy's child or a mercy's friend because they will take your head off. Third party offense is real easy for mercies because they feel what the other person's feeling. And they think it's theirs. We have this little saying that God gives you grace for your problems, not somebody else's. Okay, so somebody else is in a fight, you get into it, you don't have the grace for it. They do. They have the grace to handle it. You don't. Take, um, what else? Inappropriate intimacy. Pursue self-gratification in all forms. Doesn't have clear emotional identity. That's the weaknesses of an immature mercy. If you look at this, what do you see? Huh? Okay, yes, that's right. You see a tree. All right? Does it look like that? Huh? No, doesn't look like that, does it? Does it look like that? Doesn't look like that, does it? Does it look like that? Uh-uh. So, oh, look, bless his heart. <laughs> that little tree's out there all by himself. Just, just standing out there in the field all by himself. And he doesn't even look like the other trees, does he? Oh. They form a forest. <laughs> but when they're separate, they're just individual trees. We're called to be a forest. We're called to come together. We're called to provide a body mentality. We are, every tree has a different function. Some trees bear fruit to provide food. Why did God provide, why did God create an, a tree that produces acorns? Anybody ever ate, ate an acorn? To feed the squirrels, I guess. But there's a purpose. Some trees never lose their, lose their leaves. Some do. Some have flowers. Some don't. But their purpose of all of them is to cleanse the atmosphere and make it safe to breathe. We as a body of Christ have this goal. We are to be atmosphere cleansers. 
everywhere we go, everything we do, should be cleansing the atmosphere everywhere so that the kingdom of God releases an aroma that is sweet and that increases the appetite of those that are there. That's what we're there for. I'm just changed. Jesus changed the atmosphere everywhere he went. Didn't he? He did. He changed. Everything changed when he walked in the room. And that's what we as the body of Christ are supposed to be. But if I'm a Lone Ranger and I think my gift is the gift, then I'm trying to make you look like me. And I've decided that I don't like mercies. Mercies are too emotional. I'm sorry, just get over your stuff and go on with it. Or I don't like rulers because they're bossy. So don't try to tell me what to do. Because you know what? That's not your place. You're bossy. Or the givers. Well, you're just mean. (laughs) Givers are just mean. You know? Whatever. Teachers are know-it-alls. You just don't understand, she says. Yeah. Teacher, you know, they're just know-it-alls. Now, here's the, here's the catch-22 in the whole thing. I can't become who I was created to be by changing myself into something I'm not. Okay? I can't. I cannot. There's times when, you know, I, because of the, the amount of verbiage that I have that flows frequently from my mouth, I have tried. I have tried to be quiet. I have tried to be quiet so my husband could talk. But you know what happens? I get quiet and he says nothing. Somebody has to be making noise. <laughs> right? I mean, somebody needs to be talking, right? So why not me? You know? No, seriously, I have tried to change myself to go, okay, I'm just going to be quiet, stay in the background. Works for maybe 32 seconds, does not work. You know, we meet Adam. We go out to lunch. You know, and I'm doing everything I can to be a quiet, reserved woman of God. So that the new pastor will not see who I really am. I'm serious. Unconsciously. Because Jim's there. And I want him to, to know this man of God that's sitting next to me. The problem is he doesn't say anything. Right? I've tried that for 31 years. I've tried to shut up. It has not worked. And it probably won't for the next 31 years. But here's what I've learned. You know what I can do? I can say, Jim, I'm not going to lunch with you and Adam today. I've done that too. I have. And so you know what happens? Jim and Adam talk. Okay? I haven't, I haven't changed who I am. Jim hasn't changed who he is. We just put them in a situation where they could talk. Does that make sense? You see, for Adam... Adam will never be the mercy. Not in his absolute natural gift. He's growing in it. He won't be. This one. She will never be a mercy. But she's got a great merciful heart. It's huge. But the way she views life isn't mercy. The way she views life is what? Huh? Get her done. That's right. A ruler. Let's just build it. Get her done. Come on. Well, you know what? That may not work real well with Justin. If Justin doesn't understand that that's the way she's wired, so then he's got to find out how he's wired. Then they begin to go, okay, 
Now, the weaknesses in me would cause me to run over you. Okay? To go, okay, wait a minute, I don't have to do that. I don't have to do that. So let's, let's begin to work on these things so we both grow up in the fullness of who we are and become the gift of God to each other we were designed to be. You see, it's not personalities. I asked somebody, um, let's say, oh, Shannon. Shannon is a, my friend Shannon. I'll say hi to Shannon. That's my friend Shannon. <laughs> Shannon is a prophet, right? Is that right, Davin? Is she a prophet? Yeah. <laughs> she is a prophet. She's also a firstborn. So you've got a firstborn prophet. She is high-tech high gasoline. Why? Firstborn prophet. Firstborns are generally strong anyway. You put that with a prophet. It's, if her father were a prophet or her mother, you would have supercharged prophet. Because everything around her raised her in the prophetic environment to take charge, to run ahead, and to do things. Okay? Now, I'm prophet, but I'm the fourthborn, and I'm the baby. I got whatever I wanted because they loved me. And it was easy, and I could have fun. And I learned very young that parties are more fun than punishment. You know, they just were. And so I had fun, and I learned to be an exhorter, and I learned to do this, and all of that. But you know what? The prophet portion of me down in there would come out at the most inopportune moments. And I would speak the truth and not understand that somebody had just been cut in half. I, I couldn't, did not have a clue that was the case. Okay? Why? Because my personality adjusted my gift. Does that make sense? It adjusted my gift. Her personality <laughs> adjusts her gift. Yours we're working on. <laughs> now, do you understand what I'm saying? All of these things have variables. I've been asked, can you have more than one? Well, yeah, because as my spirit grows, there's times I may need to operate in mercy. So I actually have tools whereby I can grow my spirit... Remember the first illustration I gave you about what my spirit looked like? Remember? The Brazil nut? Okay, here's the rest of the story. I go. She ministers the truth of who I am to my spirit. It comes alive. I spent the next three months talking to myself. And here's what I would say. I would get up in the morning. And I would sit down. I'd have the word, which didn't do a whole lot for me. And I would just sit there. It didn't. I mean, I'd read the word and it would all go right here. But in here, I was still just like, ugh. But I was memorizing and I was quoting. And in here, it was still like. And so I got up in the morning and I would sit there and I'd go, Spirit, I invite you to attention. I invite you to step forward into this day. And I would wait until that place within me where the Spirit of God dwells made itself known. And it was like, oh, there it is. There it is. Spirit, I ask your forgiveness for running over you, for letting my knowledge, my soul, my will, my emotions take precedence over you. Spirit, you are one with the living God. You look like your daddy. And I just began to say, Spirit, I, 
I have ignored you. I didn't know you were there. I don't know how to live from you. I would take the word, Spirit, you are wonderfully made. Spirit, you are created in the... And it was me speaking to my... And all of a sudden, I began to feel inside of me this... Begin to happen. That's all I can say. It was just like, yeah, that's who I am. That's who I am. The Lord showed, asked me again, and he said, can I show you your spirit? I was like, okay. And he showed me a vase, and it was a glass vase. Have you seen these vases that have prongs that you put an individual flower maybe in each prong, and then there's water at the bottom of it? And that's what it looked like. But two of them were clogged. One of them was half clogged. And the other three were all water flowing. And he said, the more that you minister to your own spirit, that you nurture your spirit and have other people do, the more you will clean it out, the more your spirit will begin to grow. Tasha experienced this when she came to Asheville. And we were sitting across the table. We just, be, we just talked about it. And we were just sitting at lunch. And I said, so Tasha, you want me to minister to your spirit? And she was like, okay. So just right there, just minister to your spirit. And she went, oh, wow. Because something, she felt something inside. And it was the place, you know what we hear people say when we minister to their spirit? I've always wanted somebody to see me. just want somebody to see me. Have you ever had somebody look you in the eye and all of a sudden you knew you couldn't look at them because they were going to see something you weren't sure that you wanted them to see? And yet at the other time we're like, would somebody just look at me and see me? That's what our spirit, that's our function of our spirit. That's where our identity dwells. That's where the fullness of God is. That's where all seven gifts are that can be released. So I'm running a high-tech prophet, right? Going to do this, going to do this, going to do this, going to do this, going to do this. And I realize I've just run over a whole bunch of people. I need to be able to go, Spirit, the mercy heart of God is within you. So, Holy Spirit, would you just activate the portion of my spirit that carries the mercy of God? Would you grow that portion? And I can begin to intentionally, with the word, feed my spirit the portion of it that it doesn't hasn't been nourished in. Instead of taking the word and applying it here, trying to change my behavior, how many does that work for? Mm, maybe this long? And yet we've got these things and we are doing everything we know. The reason is our spirit is starving and I can take the word now by the spirit of God and apply it to my spirit and have my spirit begin to grow up. Now I can do what I want to do. I can stand how I want to stand. I can be what I want to be. Because my spirit has been nurtured. Because I understand all of the potential of the Father is within my spirit. So if I need to rule, if I'm a mercy, and I'm just running around with my flesh, running all over the place, doing whatever I want, looking at whatever I want, acting like an idiot relationally, I can stop and go, wait a minute, what portion of my spirit do I need to begin to spend some time on? Whatever portion carries your strength. If it's a prophet, call it up. If it's a ruler, call it up. Truth. Am I being led? Spirit of God, you are the spirit of truth. You are within me. And spirit, I give you permission to rise up and to overrule my brain. That's unity with the spirit of God because that's where he dwells. Right in here. The spirit of God is in fullness inside of you. 
we're running around trying to change ourselves through our intellectual thinking rather than connecting with the Spirit of God in our spirit and allowing Him to grow. I know that's a lot. Throwing a lot of stuff out right now. But I want to tell you something. If you will begin to activate your spirit, consciously and intentionally build your spirit man, he will strengthen you to take over the areas of weakness that you're walking in. Absolutely works. Now, I'd like to minister to somebody's spirit. Everybody's going, (laughs) don't look at her. (laughs) Um, This is something we need to begin to intentionally do for each other. Husbands and wives, we do a whole teaching on ministry to the Spirit, but I'm going to give you just an example. Husbands and wives can do this. You can minister to your friends this way. You can minister to your children. You want to build up your children, you begin to minister to their spirit. Now, this is not an exact science, but you know how the left side controls the right, and the right, the left, and the creative part is all shut down. So when we minister to someone's spirit, and we're doing it intentionally like in a session like this, I'm going to look directly into her left eye because I want to connect with the emotional part of her identity, the part of her identity that just flows naturally, that isn't boxed in, okay? Does that make sense? Because it's not the rational part. It's the part where that spirit is within. So I'm going to minister directly, and I'm going to, all she's going to do is make eye contact with me. Now, here, when I say this, I want you to catch this. This is not me giving her affirmation. I don't even know her name. All right? I'm going to say what the Spirit of God says to me that he wants her to know about her. I'm not going to give her direction. It's not even a prophetic word. Okay? It's not a prophetic word. It is the heart of the Father who wants to, like, have you... If you've had a baby, and you've held that baby in your arms, and you've looked in that baby's eyes, you know that you're connecting, right? And you don't even know why. You just know there is something going on between when we're looking at, and their, their eyes are just, what is it? Their spirit's just pulling from us. Their spirit's just, but we reach an age where people quit doing that. And so our spirits are just, Jesus comes in, it's, one thing, I'm not going to leave you up here forever. The thing that Jesus said at the end when he showed me that vase, he said, you know the scripture that says, according to the power that worketh in you? Know that scripture? According, he said, it has nothing to do with me. He said, it has to do with the size of your spirit. For the size of your spirit determines the amount of my power that you can contain to release. He said, Jesus grew in wisdom and in spirit. His spirit was way big. Way big. I want to grow my spirit because I want to be able to contain all of the Father I can possibly get so I can just, wherever I, have you ever walked into, have been in a room and a crowd was there and someone walked in the room and everybody kind of went, who just came in the room? You just knew somebody entered, big spirit came before, or somebody else was there and afterwards you went, they were there, I never saw them. 
I never, I never saw them. Why? Because their spirit was all shut down. We need to begin with your children, begin to grow it so they can stand inside. Full, full, able to contain the fullness of God. Okay? So I'm just going to give you kind of an example here. This is Tina. Does everybody know Tina? I'm the only one that didn't know Tina. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. That's good because then I don't know what I'm going to say. Right? Which is true half the time anyway, and I don't care. Okay. <laughs> okay. What? Let's get you out of the light. Just, there no, no, I was just saying left Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. <clears throat> Tina, I first of all, I just want to thank you for being willing to be seen. So, Tina, I just invite your spirit to stand up inside right now. Spirit, you have, um, you've done a really good job. You have stood inside of her at times when she didn't think she could stand. Spirit, I want to tell you that your daddy's really proud of you. That when he looks at you, he sees himself. But Spirit, you've, you've taken some lashes and there's been times you've pulled back because you weren't sure it was safe. But Spirit, I wanted to declare within you everything you need is there. And Tina needs you to rise up again and to rule over her mind. For her mind can get her in trouble. But Spirit, I want to bless that portion of you that looks so much like your daddy. I bless your ability to see design, to see order, to see how things should be done. And Spirit, I ask your forgiveness on behalf of all the people that have called you a know-it-all, bossy. And I declare to you that it is the very thumbprint of God in you. I give you permission to be who you were created to be. But I also bless the other portions of you. I bless that servant portion to be aware of the atmosphere. I bless the teacher portion to never lose sight of truth. I bless the exhorter portion that likes to have a party. I give you permission to be the bling of the party. The wow. Because God says you are a wow. A wow to him. I bless the ruler portion of you. That knows you have to get things done. Know how to do it. To come when it needs to. I bless the giver portion of you. That portion that births new things. To let the creativity flow again. To let the chains fall off of you spirit. Spirit, I give you permission to enter into the rest of the Father. For he's seen everything you've done and he says it's good. Spirit, I bless you at night to turn your face to the Father. For your soul sleeps and your mind and your body, but you never do, Spirit, for you're made like your daddy. So, Spirit, turn your face to your Father 
and let him pour the depth of his love into you for he thinks you are absolutely cool. I bless you with expansion, with vision. I bless you to know who you are and to bring others into a knowledge of who they are. I bless you with healing in you and through you. Spirit, I bless you to bring healing to your own body and to release that healing into the body and minds of others. Spirit, I honor you and I say, well done. Well done. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, awesome. we have to ask a couple questions now. Oh, okay. <laughs> Did that touch a place in you? Oh, yes. Can you identify where it touched? Um, what you felt? Being seen. Being seen. Um, realizing that there's been a lot of work going on behind the scenes and that it's appreciated and noticed. Okay. When I called your spirit forward, did you sense anything? Remember? Okay. An appreciation. Invariably, there is some place in us that goes, how many of you, when I did that, at some point, wanted to go, me too? Right? You did. I want to tell you, you can't. You see, I said nothing that wasn't really in the word. It wasn't my thoughts. It was the heart of the Father saying to her, I see you when no one else does. Do you know that can do more for a relationship than anything else? But it's the hardest things for us to receive. Because it's awkward. It's more awkward with people you know. It is. We ever do this if we ever do this full teaching, you will be practicing this on each other. Okay, thank you. <laughs> that was awesome. Okay, so what does this look like when we put it all together? Picture a car that's been cut into seven pieces. Okay, I don't care how you cut it. Just picture a car cut in seven pieces. What happens if all you have is a drive shaft and a steering wheel? How good's the car? Not very good. What happens if all you have is the trunk? You see, if we don't have all seven of those parts of the car fitted together properly, it can't do what it was called to do. Whenever you're in an organization, I would encourage you to pray through this. If you want wisdom in how to move forward, make sure that you have a mature person from each gift represented to hear the issue. Then have them go away and pray and come back and simply tell you from their perspective what they saw. Then the wise ruler will take it and say, Father, show me the whole picture now because I was only seeing part of it. Does that make sense? Do it in your family. Husband and wife. Now, you may not have all seven there, but you've got your parts. And if you call the other ones up, say, okay, how are you? Jim and I had an instance the other day where he told me, 
we were sitting looking at each other like this, and he was trying to describe a house that was out our window, okay, and which house it was. Now, I'm looking at him, and he's saying, the house three to the right. Okay, but I'm looking at him, and I'm seeing him move left, my left. He said, no, look out the window. I'm looking out the window. Three to the right. And I'm going, it's that house. No, it's not that house. Okay? Why? I, my brain was not kicking in that that was, that was his right. My left was his right. Okay? But when we got on the same page, it was, oh, oh yeah, I see what you're saying now. That house. Right? That's how we treat each other. We've got to begin to spend time and saying, I want to know you. Okay? If Candace is a giver, which, no, a teacher, then you go, okay, that's why with Candace, she's going to be very hard to change her mind. She's going to be very slow to make decisions. Make it seem like she's stubborn. She may be, but she's not stubborn when she's walking in her teacher gift. She's simply not going to move until she knows it's right. Frustrating. Right, Ray? Frustrating. <laughs> okay? So, in other words, this is a lot of information. Take those things, but don't start pigeonholing each other. Don't start pigeonholing each other. But at the same time, begin to receive each other. When someone bothers you, offends you, when someone comes to you for ministry, some, how many of you are community group leaders? Okay? How many of you have ever had anybody in your community group you just didn't like? Uh, woo! <laughs> no? Okay, or that was hard to understand. That you had a hard... Okay, yeah, you do. Begin to ask, ask yourself, what is it about the way that they're wired that I don't like? Because I will almost guarantee you, whatever the gift that irritates you is, you're irritated with God in the same measure. Okay? I don't like God to be a ruler. I don't like God to be that merciful. I want him just to smack them. I don't want God to move slow. I want him to do it now. Okay? These are just simply ideas to tear walls down between people, to maybe help you understand why you respond the way to you to do. Because I want to tell you something. There's no such thing as a bad gift. Every one of you are amazingly, intricately, uniquely thumbprinted with a father who absolutely delights in you. He wants you received. He wants you full. But you have to make a choice to become who you were created to be. Nobody can do it for you. For those of you that are in inner healing, there will be people that will pull on you forever because they want you to fix them. We can't fix anybody. We can give them an opportunity to make a choice to grow up in their gift. If they don't choose it, there's nothing you can do but love them. But you are not responsible for people to walk into the fullness of who they were created to be. You're responsible to present the image of Jesus to them that most, like, most looks like them so they know what their goal is. Okay? Questions? Y'all are like, how'd we do? What time is it? <laughs>
hey, we're going to get out early, and I didn't think we'd have time. Do you have any questions, any thoughts on that, on any of this? Nope. Well, here's one more freebie. I know that you preached on creativity. Do you know that creativity is within the heart of every person here in your spirit because your God is a creative God? And if you think you're not creative, your spirit is shut down. So if you want to be creative, you've got to get your spirit awakened to allow the creativity of the creator God within you to come out. Okay? Yes, ma'am. How accurate is it? You know what? It's a starting place is really all it is. This, there's other ones. Can't, uh, we were talk, Shannon and I were talking about it. There's so many variables to this thing that it, it's probably not, I don't know, maybe 70% accurate. Because it's like the longer you've walked with the Lord, the more it is. But what it is, there's some things that you just know that you know. Okay? So don't take it as absolute, okay, well, then I'm a prophet and I'm this and that and that. No, begin to watch. Begin to watch how you process life. Begin to watch how you interact with other people. Talk to other people about it. Say, what do you see in me? Okay? The other thing is, here's the final challenge. If you know what you are, don't say to the Lord, well, show me if I do this. Go to the Lord and say, would you show me where I do this? Blind spots are called blind spots because we're blind to the spot. Okay? So if you want to mature, you need to be... This isn't a matter of changing who I am. It's becoming who I am. I need to go to the Father and say, I want to grow up in the fullness of Christ. I want to go up in full maturity. So would you show me where do I do these things? And then once you've shown me, Jesus, would you mature it? Now that I see it, would you mature it? Okay? Make sense? So you take the little list thing. It's just a list. And you go through it. And you go, Lord, where do I do this? Where do I do this? Where do I do this? Okay? Y'all are awesome. Thank you. Thank you. We're all awesome, aren't we? Yes. We've all been validated now. Yes. Okay. Next month, um, we're going to be doing it again. And we're going to be covering a lot of, we're going to do a generational uh, deliverance, train you on how to do generational stuff. Um, just some other ministry to the spirit will be part of it. Some other things that Jim's going to do. That's going to be next month. Um, so it's going to be a lot of fun. It'll be a lot more. That one's going to be a lot more interactive. You're going to be doing stuff as we go along. This we just we want to lay the foundation, give you a new way of looking at people, relating to people, and accepting yourself. Okay, Father, thank you. We bless you. We love you. We thank you for the privilege of being here at this time, this season, in this place. And Father, we just we choose to be atmosphere changers in Campbellsville. We're going to change the atmosphere of Campbellsville. This church is going to bring new wine into this into this community um, through the breathing, the breathing of the atmosphere of God everywhere we go. So we bless you, Jesus. Amen.